Agents Podcast. Welcome to the Lab Code Agents Podcast. This episode is brought to you by the Lab Code Agents Marketing Center. The LCA Marketing Center is designed specifically for the real estate world. It's a design center for marketing that has templates created so you can just plug and play. From flyers, postcards, buyer presentations to open house signs and Instagram posts. Check it out for free for seven days at lcamarketingcenter.com. Lab Coat Nation. In this week's episode of the Lab Coat Agents podcast, I had the opportunity to talk to Aaron Fragnito about his journey from New Jersey real estate agent specializing in distressed properties to growing a business with his business partner, Seth Martinez, that now manages a 10-figure portfolio of private real estate holdings for investors. Aaron is a wealth of information and offers great ideas and advice for agents currently investing in real estate or anyone considering how to get started with investing in 2020. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Lab Code Agents podcast. I am your host, Jeff Fitzer, and I am here today with a guest that I have met, oh, about uh, three minutes ago. And so it's <laughs> always interesting uh, to bring on guests that I've never met before that was introduced to me through the World Wide Web uh, because I get to interview him uh, just as if I am listening on your end and I'm as curious as you are. So our guest today is a co- co-owner of People People's Capital Group, uh, where they uh, specialize in distressed sales, fixing, flipping. They have built a portfolio of over $10 million over the last nine years. They flip over 20 properties per year and even have gotten into syndication where they're doing one a quarter with a bunch of investors. I'm really curious to hear about that. That's becoming a hot topic. Welcome to the show, Aaron Fragnito. Thank you so much, Jeff. I'm glad, glad to be here. And uh, you got a cool studio back there. <laughs> That's good. Yeah, I, I actually get teased for this. Uh, it's my office, which looks like a closet because... I keep my swag on a shelf back here, so it looks like I'm in a closet, but that's okay. Um, so, so Aaron, welcome to the show, and, and I'm excited to, uh, to get to know you a little bit better and obviously let our audience get to know you as well. So uh, before we dive deep into all of that good stuff, tell us a little bit about who you are, where you, where you do business, uh, how, you, how you came up in the business, et cetera. Sure. Well, we're located in Berkeley Heights, New Jersey. We focus on uh, buying around New Jersey here. We have our own management company in-house. But I really started as a realtor. You know, I got licensed in 2010 and no one was really buying houses. And uh, it was pretty hard to sell a house. Uh, I got into distress sales, short sales. I worked with a lot of investors. I went out to to different uh, real estate networking groups and eventually developed my own that now has uh, over 3,000 members. So you know, I, I met a lot of buyers that way and, and made some commissions and uh, met my business partner who I work with uh, today. And uh, we bought a six family, uh, renovated it, refinanced out, leased it completely up, you know, refinanced our money back out and went on from there and got up to about 100 units uh, over five years. But my realtor license allowed me to get to uh, owning a portfolio and developing a real estate investment company, which is where my, my passion lies. Awesome. So do you still practice real estate or do you still maintain your license? Yeah, absolutely. I hang my license with Realty Mark uh, Central in, uh, in Jersey here. And uh, I used to sell all my real estate or lease real estate. Um, it's a great tool when you're investing in real estate. You know, I don't advertise uh, you know, really to other investors and, or things like that. Um, I think the last time I listed someone else's home 
was probably two years ago. So, uh, you know, there was a time I think I sold 40 houses in a year. And uh, that's how I was able to put together some cash to, you know, buy, buy some multifamilies. I love it. And I think that's, there's, it's important to, to point out is that, you know, most of our listeners are obviously real estate professionals and the vast majority of them, if not all of them are realtors. And I think that as a realtor, obviously you get into the business for a lot of reasons, but one of them is, you know, that flexibility and that ability to do other things. And one of the most obvious connections in real estate is to do investing. And so I think there's a lot of realtors, probably a lot of new ones and maybe some old ones um, or seasoned ones who also want to get into more fixing and flipping and, and just kind of create a portfolio for themselves. So uh, tell us a little bit about your story and, and kind of how that came to be. Obviously, you mentioned you guys started with a six unit, but, but uh, go a little bit more granular, go deeper for us. Sure. Well, uh, you know, we found our first deal through We Buy Houses sign. I used to post uh, those signs on telephone poles and I, I'd wear a suit and a tie and I'd go out in the middle of summer and uh, be sweating my butt off. But I put those up. We got great leads that way. Um, you know, and, and as a realtor, some brokers like won't allow you to put those up. So you have to work with a broker that allows you to be an investor. Um, I would buy some of the real estate. I would list some of the real estate depending on the seller's needs and the property. And uh, that's how we found our first uh, few deals. And uh, we bought, uh, Seth Martinez was one of my customers. He was uh, buying real estate through me, one of my clients. And uh, he was uh, making a lot of offers. And uh, he was lowballing the heck out of uh, sellers. This was 2011, you know, 2010. Like, it was time to lowball. That's when you were uh, lowball. It's a tough market. So uh, no realtors wanted to work with him. They used to call me the $40,000 man. And in Jersey, that's super cheap. Uh, and I would uh, put in all of his offers. I had a good staff, a good system, and we uh, started working together. We liked the way we worked. He's uh, more on the manager side of the business. Uh, he runs the operations management to this day. Uh, and uh, I'm good at finding the deal and, and the sales end of it as well. So we uh, bought the six family. We were able to put about another 40000 into it. I think we bought it for two twenty. We put 40000 into it. It appraised uh, over 400000 uh, just a few months later, once we had a fully leased up with tenants, you know, being a realtor, I was able to lease everything quickly, and and that into the business was uh, was good. And Seth was more on the construction, so you know, you need a good partner like that uh, to partner your, your weaknesses. And um, so we refinanced uh, the majority of our, our cash back out. Um, the rest we've made through cash flow through the years and tax write offs. And, and to this day, we still own the building. It has a ton of equity. We didn't refinance it again. We probably uh, will in a few years and pull out like another hundred thousand dollars because it's worth probably like six to seven hundred thousand now. And you know we're into it for for a million. So real estate equity is a great place to be over the last ten years, especially in Newark, New Jersey. That story I did you know ten twenty times over with uh, bigger and smaller properties and. And uh, the market here is super strong. We've got a lot of growth and we've uh, been able to make some good cash flow. And uh, so, yeah, been a, been a very good experience investing in, in uh, New Jersey. That was in Newark, New Jersey, actually. Awesome. So is your strategy primarily buy and hold or is it buy and flip? Uh, both. I mean, you know, you got to keep the lights on and make a quick nickel, you know, so the, the wholesaling is a great way to make some cash. And um, we, uh, we did about 60 wholesales last year. So we'll go to share sale auctions. We'll put properties under contract, put up a 20% deposit you know, that day in cash, and then we'll assign the bid to another buyer, another investor who's going to go on property and do all the work and renovate it. So we make a quick uh, you know, 10, 20, 30, 40,000, sometimes more, uh, depending on how hot the market is. You know, Years ago, we made about a million dollars doing 
wholesaling. So um, it's very lucrative end of our business. Um, but then you get taxed very heavily on that income because uh, it's straight fees. And um, basically, our real estate portfolio allows us to write off a lot of those gains. So that's the second half of our company, which is buying apartment buildings and commercial real estate. Interesting. So let's digress for a second here because I want to dive a little bit deeper. You're kind of covering everything from a broad perspective. And 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 again, I'm coming from a perspective of talking to the realtor who says, I want to get into this and from different levels, right? So, you know, you just went from instead of buying, fixing up, flipping, you went straight to wholesaling, which I think is probably probably beyond some, but I think it's important to probably dive a little bit deeper on it. Um, but before we do that, well, you know what, since you brought it up, let's get, let's get into that. So, you know, obviously from a, from a, a basic mindset, you know, it's, it's very simple. It's buy, hold, or it's buy, fix up, sell. Right. Mm-hmm. And you took it one step further. So you're going to these auctions, which in theory, the guy you're selling to could do the same thing. So how do you position yourself to be able to do that and make these quick bucks to wholesale? Is it because you you, know, you build up a, a portfolio of buyers, of investors? Tell us a little bit about how that all came to be and, and how you've kind of perfected it. Sure. Well, uh, getting properties at share sale auctions are is very difficult. Um, you need to really know what you're doing. You're looking at a lot of properties, a lot of data. Um, a lot of the information you're getting from the city is not accurate. So uh, it's constantly a challenge to keep up with the properties coming in and get good properties auction. Uh, very few people really have mastered it. Um, it is easy to lose money. We do lose money sometimes. For the most part, we're able to make very good uh, fees on it. So Wholesaling is completely different than being a realtor. You know, I'm not going to lie. It's like night and day. I mean, being a realtor, you know, your, your job is to get the best deal for your buyer and, or the highest price for your seller. Being a wholesaler, you're working for yourself. You know, so I'm not wearing a realtor hat when I'm doing any of this, to be clear. You know, but I do have relationships with tons of investors, you know, at the auctions or just working as a realtor for years and years who love uh, buying properties from us. And whether I'm making a commission or I'm making a wholesale fee, they really don't care. You know, those are the right, that's why I like investors, you know, because it's all about the numbers for them. So I'm a great source of good deals. So, you know, we do direct mail marketing, we do uh, the auctions, and we try to get a new deal every week of a distressed property, a fixer upper for sale here in North Jersey. And we have um, about, we used to have 10,000 buyers. We actually cleaned it up. We actually cleaned up our entire buyers list. And we have about um, 3,000 solid buyers right now, which is a really good buyers list. And um, we um, market out to them. We, we, we wholesale, we assign the contract. And, um, you know, that, that's a profit that comes into my company, People's Capital Group here. But, you know, you have to be clear that you're not acting as an agent and you're not acting on the buyer's interest. You're not working in anyone's interest, but your company, you put the property under contract and you're signing the rights to that contract to that buyer. How do you get in? Uh, how do you get connected to be able to have access to the sheriff uh, auctions? You know those sales. Well, anyone can go to the sheriff sale auctions. They're completely uh, open. Uh, you know, part of our our amazing uh, country, amazing economy here, and and it's an unfortunate part, but it's good also because a lot of these homes are abandoned. And the sellers left them years ago, and they're just sitting there, and they're causing problems for the neighborhood. So it's a really actually a good place to be scooping up good deals as an investor. But also, you know, a lot of these neighborhoods, I mean, I love it. We, we've bought so many properties in, in inner city neighborhoods. You can turn around neighborhoods over time, and uh, it's really incredible. So, you know, in Newark, New Jersey, for example, uh, inner city area, a lot of uh, tough, tough areas uh, where there's a lot of abandoned properties. And uh, we've been able to help, you know, bring up, up those uh, those neighborhoods. But you know, the sheriff's sale auction is a completely public forum. Every county 
has its own auction. You can go to the county in, in your town uh, your, your, where you live and go to the sheriff's sale auction. You know, start going, check it out. Um, it's a tough way to get deals, though, because it's as is, where is. You cannot enter the property before you buy it. Uh, you got to completely pay for it. So a lot, you know, funding is out. Even hard money lenders who need to do appraisals that might be out. Um, you might buy a property and the owner still lives there, and that you have to go through a state eviction and then a city eviction. You know, it's a whole process where, you know, it's it's tough. And uh, so these properties, you know, are not always winners. But if you know what you're doing and you do very well with the winners and you limit your losses on the losers, you can do very well with the sheriff sale auctions. But it's certainly the pinnacle of investing. It took me years to understand them and do well with them. Okay, awesome. So that's that's that brings it basically tells me that I just went from zero to a hundred on on these topics, and now we have to dial back down to like number twenty five. So so let's go back to uh, just you know so we're, again where you guys started, which was buying and holding. With which my question is, is there something that you're looking for when you're looking for properties to buy, hold versus buy sell? So if I'm a realtor and I'm wanting to get into this, is there? Is there a certain criteria or checklist of something that that I should, you know, kind of keep my eye on for what makes most sense? Well, every market's different. You know, here in North Jersey, we're in a very competitive market. So if your main source of deals is the MLS, good luck. I mean, that's a really hard way to get really discounted properties. I, you know, as a realtor, I guess you're saying like, how, how do you find the properties, uh, Jeff? That's uh, your, your question. No, how do you determine? So once you find them, so I mean, obviously all realtors have access to properties. If they don't know how to find properties, well, they might want to consider another career. <laughs> but but how do you determine which ones are buy, hold versus buy, sell? How do you do okay. that? Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, you know, the multifamilies, the more units you have paying in, the better. Uh, anything six units or over, we will probably syndicate, meaning I will pull together capital amongst five, six, seven, you know, eight investors, legally up to 30 for the funds we start. Um, and I will pull capital together and we'll get a mortgage and we'll buy the real estate. And we have our own management company and those investors enjoy passive returns and, and, and cash flow checks and uh, tax appreciation. Now, uh, for any single family home, condo, something like that, I'm probably going to flip, you know, it really doesn't cash flow. It depends on the numbers, how much you put into it. But I do sometimes refinance out. Of, I own a, a couple of condos. I own a couple of single family homes, you know, and if it makes sense, it's all about the numbers, you know, if it's in the location we can manage easily, then yeah. But for the most part, six units or bigger is where you want to be for buying holds. I like it. So general rule of thumb, multifamily holds, single family flip, uh, depending on cash flow, depending on situation. Give us an example of a single family that you did hold and why. Uh, well, we just bought a property in Newark, New Jersey, and uh, we got it at auction for about $60,000. Uh, we put another about 50000 into it to fix it up, and it appraised for over 200000 So we're into the thing for just around you know, one, 120 or so, and it makes sense to pull out uh, about 140000 on it, you know, pocket twenty dollars or $30,000 at the refinance. Now, when you refinance out of a piece of real estate, you know, you are getting cash, tax-free cash, right? Because uh, when you sell a piece of real estate, you have to pay taxes on the money you made. So if we sold the property for two hundred grand and we made hundred thousand dollars or eighty thousand dollars, you know it would uh, we'd have to pay taxes on that. But if we refinance the property and it tends to appraise for more than it sells for, by the way, so appraise for like two twenty five, 
and we pulled out, I think, 150000 It rents for over $2,000 a month, so it easily covers its costs and cash flows. Probably about $200 a month is going to cash flow uh, after paying all the other costs. But, you know, at the end of the day, it, it's a, we got about $30,000 back on the property. We got all of our money back on the property on, you know, in addition to that. And the, and the money you get on the refinance, the cash out refi, that is tax-free money because it's, it's debt. It's a safe amount of debt that our tenants are going to pay down over the years. But it's debt. So you're not selling the building. You, you don't have to pay the tax, man. And uh, you know that means I get thirty grand in my pocket tax-free. I still own the building. I get a few hundred dollars a month on it. I get tax write-offs at the end of the year. And then maybe I'll sell it one day and I'll cash out the extra hundred grand equity I'll have then. You know? I like it. That's good advice. So in other words, keeping, keeping in mind uh, what uh, Uncle Sam is going to be doing, uh, you, you, a refinance might make sense just for the sake of avoiding paying capital gains, I guess, right? Absolutely. You know, and uh, once you start running a business and flipping a lot of houses, ta- it's all a tax strategy. You know, you have to start figuring out because, you know, as soon as you write a six-figure check to the government at the end of the year, you say, wait a minute, I'm going to figure out how to do this less. You know, so that's exactly why we buy and hold real estate and reposition the real estate. We're putting money into it. We're figuring out ways to get more income on the property. Uh, we're offering cash to keys for tenants. Um, so there's you know expenses to all this, and uh, that allows for operating expenses. And then we also have tax depreciation on the long-term holds. So uh, it's real estate's a tax strategy at the end of the day. And you know, realtors get nailed on taxes. You know, us realtors, we pay quarterly. Well, you're supposed to, or you pay at the end of the year. You know, and it's a, it's a, it's really bad uh, if you do well as a realtor, how much you're paying in tax. So, you know, really, uh, owning real estate is is a necessity if you're a successful agent because you just want to keep more of your money. And then you know, the 1031 tax deference, you know, that's a whole other topic. But it's amazing what you can do over a 20, 30 year period if you play the tax uh, code properly with real estate. I love it. And since you brought it up, I assume most realtors know this, but I never want to assume that everybody does. Uh, Explain what the 1031 exchange is. So a 1031 tax deference is, uh, or tax exchange is essentially our exit strategy for all of our big buy and holds. It's when you sell uh, the building and uh, you uh, notify a third party at the tax uh, 1031 company and they hold the money uh, for a period of time. You have to identify a similar or like building, but if you trade into a bigger building, you don't have to pay taxes on the, the you know the profit from the sale of the building. So you know if you sell a five million dollar building and you make two million dollars in profit, you have to give the government like a half a million dollars, right? So that limits what you can buy with that money on your next building. If you keep that half a million dollars and now you can go into your next investment with a full two million in profit, then uh, you could buy a much bigger building. So you could trade into bigger real estate by avoiding paying the taxes, capital gains at the time of sale. Now, it is a tax deference, so ideally you eventually owe the tax to the government, but you can, you know, through trusts and other measures, and, and uh, there's different ways, talk to an estate accountant and a state attorney about how you can eventually not pay that tax. But it's how the rich get richer, it's how the wealthy hold on to their wealth, and a 1031 tax deference, if you don't understand that as a realtor, um, and you want to get into the investment side, that's something you have to understand, it's a great tool. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and, and and a long story short is, is you just, and, and what is the amount of time that you have? So well, let's say you sell a property, you make a hundred grand and you just want to, you want to roll it over. That's basically what you're doing. You're just rolling it over to another piece of property, right? Correct. Uh, what is the time frame? Did you mention that? It's 90 days. Once you sell the property, you have 90 days to identify uh, the property. Okay. It has to be similar like property. Identify. Um, 
yeah, and it'd be like, this. here's the contract. I have it under contract, okay? So it's tough. You know, I know I've never done this before, full disclosure, but it's tough. Uh, I know a lot of investors that have. We, we uh, have people that teach it here uh, every month. So, you know, you have to, if the other side of the table knows you're doing a 1031 and you have to place the money by a certain time, that's difficult as well. Um, but you have 90 days to identify the building uh, that you're going to buy after the sale of, of your original building. And then you have 180 days after that to close on the real estate. Okay. So it sounds like a lot of time, but it's in commercial real estate, getting a mortgage, all these moving pieces that can be difficult. Um, so, you know, it's, it, you have to know what you're doing. You have to kind of plan a 1031 uh, before you sell the building. You, you know, you're going to already looking at buildings. You probably maybe already had made an offer contingent upon the sale, you know, so there's lots of things you could do to, to just give that insurance there. You need the 90 day mark and then the 180 day mark. I love it. Awesome. So one other thing that I, that I thought of that, that you haven't mentioned yet is do you guys do any short term? Do you buy anything to do short term rentals like the VRBO type type uh, avenue? Is your market good for that? Any experience with that? So I actually take my personal cash flow and I buy uh, ski properties near Okimo Ski Resort in Vermont because I love to ski. I make a little bit of money on the real estate. My wife manages them through Airbnb. I love Airbnb. Uh, it's an amazing system. To, you know, as a guy who owns uh, almost 100 uh, rental units in New Jersey, a lot of them are Section 8, affordable housing, um, all, all different types of real estate here. So you know, I understand the challenges of managing and retaining tenants, keeping tenants happy, and keeping a, a building as a good environment. So Airbnb is such a great resource for my uh, vacation properties. You know, I can uh, make my money back. I make a few, maybe a little bit of money every uh, year on them, but uh, I get to go up there and enjoy it with my family and friends. And, uh, you know, I, again, it's a good investment. I, I'm buying near a, a good resort and uh, Vale just bought it too. So we'll, we'll see where it goes. Nice. So your strategy is more for the sake of personal use and the uh, rental income is just kind of side and maybe maybe helps pay for itself, but it's not necessarily an income strategy for you. It is. I want to make money with the properties. Um, you know, my wife, uh, the goal is to rent them out every single day. We're not there. But as, as vacation properties up in Vermont, they tend to just be rented on weekends. But I, I've done pretty well on it. You know, uh, my numbers have panned out as I pretty much projected them to. You know, I, I think it's a good investment overall. I, I was able to refinance most of my money back out on the properties. So just like uh, the real estate down here, I buy, renovate, refinance my money back. You could do that with single family homes. I do it with two family homes. You could do it in Vermont. You could do it in New Jersey. Um, you just have to buy at the right price and keep your costs down on the reno. But yeah, I mean, it, it probably makes me um, maybe $100 a month. And I think that's also my first year of growing pains of managing real estate two states away, which is tough. Sure. Of course. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. So you've mentioned multiple times now about taking out the mortgages and refinancing and whatnot. Do you have any tips or tricks for what a realtor should or should not be doing when it comes to taking out the mortgage? Because you mentioned multifamily. And I don't know if a lot of realtors even realize that uh, you're not going to be taking a, you're not going to be taking out a traditional mortgage on anything more than a four family. Right. So anytime it gets more than a four lap, four family, it becomes commercial. So explain a little bit about what your strategy is and how you guys execute. Well, every property we buy is a new LLC. So every loan we get is a commercial loan. Uh, yeah. You should really buy your income properties and in LLCs. Buying it in your name is, is not going to be a, a long term strategy. Um, it's too much risk to it. So you unfortunately need to pay a little bit more on interest for the loan. You get a commercial loan. There's you, you have to put a little more down. 
but owning your real estate in an LLC is, is the right way to do it. And, um, you know, commercial, so whether you're, so when I refinance a condo or a single family home, I'm actually using a commercial loan to do it. And um, I use a credit union. So I'll use a financial resources federal credit union, which is a great credit union here in New Jersey. And um, regular banks don't like it as much because it's a commercial loan on a single family home. So by going to credit unions, you can uh, tend to uh, get more flexibility in what they will lend to, allow you to refinance in an LLC and own real estate in LLC that's even single family. But you're going to pay like maybe a little bit more for the money, a point higher at closing and a point higher on the interest. Now, local banks in general are generally how we buy the real estate. Um, anything six units or bigger, you know, we'll go to Connect One Bank. Uh, maybe we'll go to, you know, sometimes we, we've done some stuff with Provident or Valley National. Uh, but local banks, you know, uh, the credit union we work with is really are one of our main sources of, uh, of uh, funding for properties is good. But yeah, your bank relationships is everything. You know, if you want to be a real estate investor, you have a, good, have a great credit score. You got to have good relationships with banks. Starting your portfolio from scratch is tough, so you do need to have some cash. And uh, but once you have a good relationship and you refinance with the bank a few times, and you know it gets a lot easier. They they really will just be like, all right, what what's next? You know, what do you want? I agree. And and if I can add to that, so I'm in the mortgage business, and I advise people all the time. I'm also an investor, and I learned many many years ago that it's much easier with investment properties. And of course, with, with, you know, higher, with more than four units, it's mandatory uh, to go to create relationships. I think that's a very important, important thing you said. And I think that's really good advice. If people don't know that build a relationship with a local bank, once you've established that and you get through the first deal or two, the, the, financing process, which can be very painful, uh, becomes much easier. It's damn near a handshake. I mean, it's like updating financials and it's different than your typical Fannie, Freddie, Ginny type loan. You're not typically having to provide uh, a blood sample in your firstborn. It's, it's, a, it's much simpler, but they're also looking at different things. Uh, but I do believe, and this is coming from a mortgage guy, that, that having a relationship with a local bank or two or three, actually having at least at least two is important because you can kind of pit them against each other. Mm. Not from a rate perspective, more from an approval perspective, because I think like you said, and I feel the same way, I don't care about the rate and the fees as much on commercial because I'm not buying for that purpose, right? It's not going to have that big of an impact. It, let's put it this way. If one percentage point of interest rate, and I'm talking about 1%, that's a lot in the mortgage world. If that impacts my investment, it's not a good investment, right? Uh, it shouldn't have any It shouldn't have any impact. But I think the moral of the story here is if you're going to do what, what Aaron is doing and do it well, build those relationships. Clearly, you guys have this yeah. thing mastered. That's good advice. I appreciate that. Well, you never have anything mastered. You know, we're, we're oh, learning true. every day. But yeah, relationships with banks is so important. I mean, and, and it makes your job a lot easier too. <laughs> if I had to reapply every single time I bought a property, I'd go crazy. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Let's, let me digress for a second too. And, and uh, on the topic of uh, your database. So you have a database of buyers, like investors, right? And so you do mailers. Uh, talk about that strategy. Talk about what you do there and how that helps your business. So the mailers are defined motivated sellers. And um, so th those tend to work on that. And the uh, buyers list is really, I've, I've met a lot of them through uh, real estate networking events. Um, also just posting fixer uppers on social, uh, on well, social media a little bit, but more so the GSMLS, right? So being a realtor, selling fixer uppers. So I'll buy real estate sometimes and then we'll clean it up and put it back on the market. And uh, investors will come in and, and buy that. But you, you get a lot of investor leads by putting out 
fixer uppers for sale and working with investment properties. So the way I got into this was by first selling investment properties for years. And by doing that, you just naturally build a buyer's list of, uh, you know, like any realtor, you might be selling nice homes in a town and you know, a lot of buyers in that town or whatnot, but you know, on the investment side of the business, it's repeat buyers. So I, it's, it's, you know, it's a little easier than retail because you know who your buyers are. When I look at a deal, I'm like, oh, I Scott's going to buy this, you know, or like I know who's going to buy this. Like I can name three guys who are going to, I could call right now who will buy this. And um, so it's a little bit easier than, you know, and you have your repeat customers. And the other side of the coin is though, especially working with inner city properties, cheaper properties, you're going to have a lot of fly by night investors, a lot of people that you know, overpromise and underdeliver and sign a contract, never send a deposit. That happens all the time. You know, so it's different than retail real estate. If you think there's going to be a lot of an integrity from everyone or what, you know, I mean, it's, it's a tough side of business. And so you, you um, have to have a bit of a, uh, thick skin for it, but um, we got a good system now. It took a few years to develop it, and uh, it's all about working people you know. Love it, I love it. So I think we've kind of—is there anything else to add to this to this broad topic? I think we've kind of touched on a little bit of each, and obviously you've displayed your vast experience and knowledge in this, which is very very helpful. Is there anything else that I that I didn't ask you? No, I mean, we are always, uh, we have RIAs here. We have meetup groups. I'm sure most of your listeners are all over the nation. But if you're here in New Jersey, come to one of our meetup groups. Uh, we're on meetup.com, New Jersey Real Estate Network as our uh, name. And, uh, you know, we do seminars here. We have one called Realtors Building Wealth. That's actually on Friday the 22nd here from 10 to 12 on a Friday morning. Uh, so, you know, we talk about realtors and how, how I uh, built my wealth as a realtor and pretty much exactly what we talked about right now. So that's a great event. You can, you know, network with like-minded agents, like breakfast, and uh, sometimes I have some other speakers come as well. So, you know, if you are local, come check out one of our events or we have webinars also. You know, we educate. In, in my side of the business, since I'm always raising capital, work with new investors and lining up with passive investors, I'm just educating. I just go around and I do podcasts and webinars and seminars and and it's all free, uh, 99% of the time. And, uh, you know, so it's, it, check us out on meetup.com, New Jersey Real Estate Network, and jump on a webinar and get some free education. You know? Are those a consistent, uh, so for those that are local to the Northeast, are those a consistent uh, day of the month, or does it vary from month to month? Because this actually won't, this podcast won't come out until after the dates you just mentioned. So sure. just for future references, any is, is it like a, the third Thursday of every month, or what is it, like anything like yeah. that? Yeah, it's second Tuesday, we do our uh, big networking event. So second Tuesday uh, from six to nine, we usually have like three different speakers. I'm one of them and similar topics, what we talked about here. So that's two, second Tuesday. And then the fourth Friday, we have the late morning event for Realtors Building Wealth. So either one's great. If you can't make the midday, come to the evening one. That's second Tuesday for six to nine and fourth Friday, 10 to 12. Love it. So before we wrap up, though, we gotta, we've got we've got to discuss syndication a little bit here. And I don't know how many realtors uh, fully understand the topic of syndication. It just came up on a podcast that actually came out this week with Sam Karamian. Um, go check that out. We, we, we vaguely touched on it. And one of the things that Sam says, um, and I don't know, you probably don't know Sam, he's actually based out of San Diego, but, you know, he has always talked about, you know, really big, grandiose visions and and his goals of making a billion dollars and he he could never figure out 
how he was going to make a billion dollars until he started doing syndication. Then he realized mm. this is it. Mm. And I realized this is a graduated thing. Like you're going to crawl before you walk. You need to go do some investing in properties before you get into syndication probably. Mm. But explain how syndication works with you guys. Um, and maybe, you know, back it up a little bit and even kind of give just your, your, uh, your piece or your explanation of what syndication is and then how you guys execute on, on the syndication piece. So yeah, I mean, syndication is when you pool capital together and the investors in your LLC don't have a voting right. So they're silent investors. And when you sell someone a silent uh, investment opportunity, it's, t- it's called a security. So then the Security Exchange Commission gets involved. So we do start a small fund. You have to talk to an SEC attorney and understand how to do it. There's some costs, but it's not as much as a lot of people say either. We do it in a way that's very affordable. Um, but basically, yeah, you pull together capital. It is the pinnacle of my career. It took me many years to be able to raise capital on the level that we raise capital on. It's about building a relationship. You have to know people for years sometimes. Um, you know, a lot, and, and, and many times, you know, they'll know you for years and they'll say, oh, I'm just going to stay in the stock market, whatever, you know, so you're, you're really uh, in a whole different part of the business, you know, raising capital, building a syndication. You're in a, in a sense of financial advisor. You're talking to people about long-term gains and tax strategies and, and uh, you know, real estate is just the tool that you use to put their capital to work. And we know real estate really well here. We have a management company. I have my business partner. We have a good track record. And we're about 30 investors. We have um, a little over $6 million in, in private equity cash out. And uh, so we, uh, you know, we started a small fund for every acquisition. But it, it took a long time to get here. The way I started was uh, being a realtor who was selling properties to investors with cash. To this day, many of those investors call me up and say, hey, Aaron, I'm tired of uh, running around and, and working so hard in this business. I just made 100 grand on a flip. What do you have? I have an apartment building. You can own 10%. You'll get a cash flow check in the mail. You'll get tax write-offs. You own a piece of the building. You don't have to do anything. He says, great. I get to make double-digit cash and cash returns, pretty close to what I was making before when I owned 100% of a three or four family. I don't have to do anything. So a lot of active investors you know, would, would be interested in that. And I, I started raising capital that way. And to this day, our wholesale business, which introduces us to investors, uh, will also... They'll say, hey, what about that you know, passive investment thing? What about that syndication thing? And so it's, it's a great model. It's a great service for investors. Give me an example of something that you've syndicated. Well, um, let's see. We just uh, we bought a 25-unit. My first syndication was a 25-unit down in South Jersey. We bought it in 2014. Um, I bought it from the individual who ended up being the town inspector. So he would find us for everything. He hated us. It was a great deal. It was a great investment. Uh, one time our tenant left a TV out on the curb and, and the town inspector who used to own the property fined us $11,000. And it was around that time we said, you know what, let's call up a, for some buyers and see maybe we can sell this thing. Um, so we sold it for a great profit. We took the money we were making from the property. We put it back into the property, right? So when you buy something like a 25 unit, it's it's making enough money that even if you're evicting some t- tenants, a lot of the tenants be like, well, the last landlord let us skip a month. So we're usually allowed to skip a month, right? We'll pay six months out of the year. Isn't that how rent works? And we would have to explain that's not how paying rent works. So um, in fact, uh, we had a number of evictions and, um, you know, so, but the building was making money. We would take the money from the building, spruce up the units, and we sold the building for a profit, um, which is one way to exit a piece of real estate, one way to turn over an apartment building. We have other buildings with different strategies. Generally, we refinance now as our exit strategy. But you know, the way I started was building those relationships with investors that were already buying real estate. And uh, if you're buying real estate, ideally, you have some cash. It's it's interesting. And, and let me point out what he just said is refinancing as an exit strategy. It's not 
an exit strategy. It's an exit of your money strategy. You're not actually exiting the investment. You're actually holding. And a lot of those cases, if they're cash flowing, just building up the equity in long term, because that's what Sam had said, like his in his strategy, you know, they're holding on to them for 10 years, but we're talking multi, 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 multi millions of dollars we're talking because they're, they're buying big office buildings. And I think that's the biggest piece to syndication is it, it, it gets you into arena where there's like 2% of the population that are actually playing in that ballgame. So when you're buying and holding on residential, it's it's diluted. Like they're, everybody's in that game, right? But when you get into syndication, these big buildings, you're playing in with a much smaller pool against a much smaller pool of investors, correct? Mm-hmm. And so it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's a di- whole different game. And we uh, definitely encourage people uh, to learn more about it. And obviously, Aaron, you are a testament. You are a living, breathing testament to all of the things um, that realtors can do with their real estate expertise, uh, with their license and whatnot. So uh, we really appreciate it. And I think one of the biggest morals of this show, beyond the obviously excellent content that you've shared, is that relationships are so critical. And it's not just for your real estate career, because they are critical for your real estate career, but also in this in this side of the business. Because like you said, I mean, uh, from having buyers to banking, to your mortgages, to syndication, there was a common theme there. Relationships, relationships, relationships. And um, I think that's that's fascinating. So if you're not very good at relationships, you might want to start working on getting better at them. <laughs> and also don't let the guys that are doing multi-multi-billion dollar syndication scare you, right? I, I talked to an SEC attorney years ago and he said, if you don't have $50,000 to drop on a PPM, a private placement memorandum, you shouldn't even be thinking about starting a real estate syndication. And for years that held me back. And uh, we figured out a way to do it more affordable for smaller properties, local here. You know, So there's a way you can always walk before you run and uh, you can start a syndication for a six unit property, put together 150 grand for the down payment. And uh, there's your first syndication. You know, I just did that in January. There's nothing wrong with that. We make great money on the six family building. So, um, you know, you got to walk before you run, but you can do that with uh, small syndications. I like that. That's good advice uh, because, yeah, here I am talking about multi-million dollar properties and here you are saying, no, wait, put the brakes on. We can go, we can go smaller here. I like that. And, and that is talking to the masses and, and I think that's smart to do. So, so thank you for correcting me on that. Okay. So Aaron, uh, mention it again. You, you talked about what your, your investment groups, re-mention it again, and then let let our listeners know if they have questions for you, how can they get a hold of you? Where can they follow you? Uh, give it to us. Sure. So our website is peoplescapitalgroup.com. We are also on meetup.com. Our real estate network is New Jersey Real Estate Network. Um, and we're located here on Springfield Ave in Berkeley Heights, New Jersey. So you can jump on a webinar. We do webinars uh, twice a month. We also do uh, how to self-direct your IRA. That's another webinar coming up next uh, on the uh, third Tuesday of the month. But um, yeah, check us out at peoplescapitalgroup.com. We work with tons of passive investors, Realtors, uh, all different types of people that invest with multimillionaires to people that just self-direct fifty thousand dollars from their IRA, or or realtors that just had a great great, great closing and are ready to put their money to work. And um, check us out, peoplescapitalgroup.com. I love it. I appreciate you. And I tell you what, you know, uh, you're we just met, and I know you're not overly familiar with Lab Code Agents. Um, and we are a much larger presence on the West Coast and the East Coast, so maybe you can help 
uh, you know, spread the word and let more people know about lab coat agents and, um, and obviously, you know, share the podcast and whatnot. So, uh, we really appreciate you being on air and this has been fantastic. It's a little bit different content than we typically put out. So this is good. We like to mix it up and uh, I really appreciate you and you, the listener, as always, if you love what you hear, if you appreciate the content that we deliver, please don't keep us a secret share it make sure you comment and engage us give us ratings all of it helps and we really appreciate uh, your support and uh, until the next one uh, we will talk to you then aaron thank you again for being on the show and uh, it's great to meet you man Lab Coat agents podcast